Yeah, hey, I want you to know that's exciting. So what we say every week, kind of like where we give, is we want to be a church that's super generous. We want to be a place that uh, shares freely what God shares with us. And like, you know, just so you know, the, the national average of churches, of what churches actually give back, of what they intake, is way under 10%. It's probably closer to like three to six from stuff that I've read. And so we want to be a place, like our goal by time we pay off our mortgage in a little over six years is we want to be given like 35% of our, of whatever God gives. And in just a year, last year at this time, we were at 3%. And so we've made, a, yeah, so we've, so we've made a lot of changes to be, to get the 21%. That's a huge jump. Um, it's taken a lot of faith, but it's so sweet because every time we're turning around, we just start praying and we want to amp it up. Like the Lord just keeps putting more in because when we're faithful with little we're faithful with more. And so we want to be a place that's super generous. So like if you're wondering, um, I don't know, like maybe you're a person who likes to be generous. Like if you're wondering, like we're doing a lot of good stuff locally, globally, uh, like in the region, like in the nation. We're planting churches. We're helping missions. We're helping people with addictions. We're helping save babies. We're helping save marriages, uh, like people in recovery. We're doing a lot of great stuff. And, and so we just tell you that not to brag, but we also want to be fiscally accountable. You guys give, you know, I give, my family gives, our staff people give, on our board gives, and we just want to be fiscally accountable. So it's never a thing to brag. It's just really to celebrate what God's doing and so just, uh, you know, to encourage people to just partner with us. So we finished a very long, cool series last week on the book of Mark called Things Can Change. And that was really a series on when we hear the voice of God and we obey what he says, things can change. Things will change. Things do change. And as I started praying about what we're going to talk about next on Sunday morning, a lot of times we do series around here. Sometimes there's a one-off. Today's kind of a one-off when we're in between sessions. And we're going to be doing a series starting here in a couple weeks on uh, mental health called Elephant in the Room. And I think a lot of people are plagued by a lot of things that affect the way we feel, the way we experience the world, the way we see things. And so that's going to be really exciting. That's going to be starting on May 8th. Um, but as for this week, I really felt the Lord impressing upon me something to share that I think is timely and imperative. And it's always interesting when God is kind of doing a work in your heart and then you keep like seeing like little nuggets like along the way, like little carrots he keeps dangling to show you what that is. And so um, I just ask you, Jesus, to speak to us throughout today. That, Lord, I don't want to take uh, your word lightly or things that you're saying to me or other people lightly. And so, Lord, I pray that um, you would just illumine this truth that's not only in my heart, but the hearts of others, but that's plain in your word. Help us live into it, Lord, and let us know things can change and things will change if we decide to follow you in the way that you mean us to as disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a vision for your life? Have you ever had like a moment in time where everything crystallizes and you stop and think and you see a glimpse through the keyhole possibly of what can be? Not what is, but what can be. Um, it, maybe you had a dream or a prophetic word or like you daydreamed or you had a burning desire, you made a plan or you felt a calling or maybe you received a promise or maybe you made a promise. Like a lot of people walk down the aisle and they make a promise. And But um, I think that's something cool though and even like in these walls, I've talked about this several times, as this church was being built on the bricks inside the walls, there are prophetic promises that are very old, that are in these walls. Some of them, they're all at least 20 years old, but some are a lot older than that. That stuff that people maybe received from family lineages, decades before, years before, and they're promises that God has over this place in the lives of these people. And many times, though, we get a word or else a vision, and we feel an immediacy and an urgency of the thing. And then we wake up one, two, five, ten, twenty-five years down the road and wonder why this promise or calling has never come to pass. I mean, before I was even saved, back in 1990, November of 1990, I fell asleep. And in this, this time when I was asleep, I had this vision. I had this dream about my whole life. 
And I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't really know up from down. I was kind of more Jewish. My dad was Catholic, but I was kind of more in synagogue than I was in mass. And I, I didn't really know anything. I didn't care about the Lord. It wasn't on my radar. But I had this dream. I had this vision that lasted the entire night. And in it, I was doing very spiritual things, very pastorly things, very evangelistic things. And... Um, it was crazy. And then four days, met, uh, four days later, I met the guy who would eventually lead me to Christ. Like the Lord was setting me up. And I had a dream, a vision of that I was preaching in Africa in this thing. And it's kind of wild. And it's really interesting, though, when these things happen in our lives, sometimes it can feel like they're really delayed. It can feel like, why are they not coming true? Like, why is this? And obviously, four days later for something to get in a vision is very quick for the Lord to start on it. But there was so much in my life that in that dream that hadn't happened yet. And there's some things that still haven't, and that was 32 years ago. And if we look in the Bible, the Bible is really a book of three key themes. If you broke the Bible down into three key themes, it is creation it is covenant, and it is kingdom. Those three things are the permeating things that we see over and over again. God made the world. The world messes up. God makes promises to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to David, to Solomon. There's all these covenants God makes, and they're all to establish his kingdom in their fullness. And we see early on, after the fall, God enters into a covenant with his people. And he, the first one, uh, like I said, is Noah. And then the second one was Abraham. And this promise was from Abraham to leave the land of Ur, which should have taken about a month, 650, 700 miles. But instead, it spanned about 7,500 miles to make it into Canaan. And if you think about 650 miles or so is about like Baltimore this way, Kansas City that way. But the span of 7,500 miles is like, is like a Panama Canal to Anchorage, Alaska. If you think about like the middle of the earth to the top of the earth, that's about how far 7,500 miles is. And we see that there was a promise where God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you and your descendants. He said, I'm, I'm going to make uh, your descendants like the sands on the seashore, like the star in the skies. I'm going to give you so many people that you won't know what to do. And Abraham was about 75 years old, scholars tell us, when he left his native land. And we know it wasn't until he was 99 that he was given the promise of this child Isaac. Like God told him to leave. And then later on he had this promise of Isaac. And then we know it wasn't until 13 years later that Isaac was actually born when Abraham tried to take care of it himself. So Abraham had this promise from God. And the promise was that I'm going to make you a great nation. When you're 75, that sounds crazy. When you're 99, it sounds more crazy. And when your wife's 90 and never had a baby, it's even more crazy. So today what we're going to talk about is uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We're not going to read through all of it. I'm going to kind of skip around. And I'm going to condense some of it in story form for time's sake. But there was a promise given here to a guy in Numbers about maybe, I don't know, 500 years later? 600 years later where they are as the children of Israel are wandering in the desert, this promise is still yet to be fulfilled, but they're on the brink of it. They're on the brink of it. So Numbers chapter 13 um, says this. He says, God tells Moses to send spies in the land. He says, I want you to send spies. I want you to send them for 40 days. I want them to allocate, collect, test, look at, basically bring back, like, the soil. Is it good? Is the land? Is it beautiful? Is there milk and honey? Is there everything I told you? Not for God to know, but for them to know. For them to know. Because God already knew. He already knew this land. He promised them. And so he sends them there, and the spies go. And then God says this. He says, 
I'm sending you so you will not be sluggish, but you will be imitators through those of faith who inherit the promises. We see that in, like in Genesis, that so we see the promise to, to your descendants, I will give this land. So you'll build an altar there to the Lord. And so there was this promise a long time ago, and now Moses and the people, he says, like, listen, I'm sending you there. I want you to do this, and I don't want you to be, shl- I don't want you to be sluggish. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to slow down. I want you to go, and I want you to move. And so here's what the spies, Caleb, Joshua, and the other people from the 12 tribes said. So basically, they had gone, and they're like, yeah, this is all that and a bag of chips, except for there's really big, strong guys there. Except for there's these giants. There's these descendants of, there's like these descendants of like Shaq or like a neck. There's these dudes that like, you know, that are just Herculean guys and we're a little afraid. So everything you said is there, God. You've taken us this far. You saved us from Egypt. You saved us from this. You've sent plagues. But there's a big guy. So I think we're done. I think we're just going to turn around and go home. Like literally, these people have seen him part seas. Send frogs, turn water into blood. They saw like the deliverance of Joseph, all this other stuff. They saw crazy stuff, and they're like, ah, there's a big guy there. Uh-uh. And but Caleb says this. Caleb tries to quiet the crowd as they're complaining. And he stood before Moses. He says, Let's go at once and take the land. He said, We can certainly conquer it. The Israelites say, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than us. And this incited the people to doubt. This incited the people to doubt. There was a promise. There was a promise God had given to these people, but they doubted. And it says in uh, Numbers 14, 2 through 4, their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness... Why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as plunder. Let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Caleb and Joshua persisted. The people even threatened to stone them and to kill them. But Caleb and Joshua didn't fail. They didn't falter. Uh, Rabbi Schnorr Zalman of... um, explains, he says, these people had the purpose of creation. The purpose of, uh, the purpose of creation as God originally intended it. It was something for beautiful, not a place to escape, uh, to escape reality or the loftiest of intentions. In the desert, even these people lived an idyllic life of spiritual bliss. Life around them, there was a tabernacle that was mobile. They had a major pursuit from God to understand his Torah. He spoke to them daily, and yet their spies feared that the settling of the land, plowing, sowing, and reaping, that they would fall from their high spiritual peak, and God wouldn't provide for them. So the promise was for these people to go take the land. And the same is true in a lot of, there's a lot of things in our lives, God gives us these promises But then we look at them, maybe when we're small, or maybe when we're down, maybe when we're weak, maybe when it's falling apart, and we can't see how God can pull it off. The promises of God, the problem with them is, is God's promises are not the same thing as guarantees. See, God had this this promise for the children of Israel, but it wasn't a guarantee. It wasn't a guarantee, it was... Not a reality unless they laid hold of it. See, God had this promise for Abraham far off, and God had this, this promise for Moses, and it wasn't far off. It was right in front of him. But then later on it says, God rebukes him. He comes against him, and everyone dies in the wilderness except for Joshua, Caleb, and their families. God says, everyone 20 years or older is going to die because you doubted me. I gave you a promise, you were on the cusp of it, and you wussed out curtains. How many of us faint and give way on the things God puts on our heart because it looks too hard, it looks too big, it looks like it'd be better for someone else, we don't want to put the work in, we're afraid, we're terrified, we doubt, we want to keep this old life of 
live Egypt. We'd rather have this old thing that we had and that we're used to because the devil we know is better than the devil we don't. And yet many of us miss out on the promises God has on our lives because when we're right on the cusp of it or in the process of it, we faint and give way. And as I was kind of praying about this message, it's really interesting. I heard a guy uh, preach um, at the International House of Prayer a couple um, weeks ago. Wes Hall is his name. And Wes Hall gave a message that God's promises, his prophetic promises, are not guarantees. Like, that's interesting. God's prophetic promises are not guarantees. Do you know that even the salvation given to us, that deposit, that's not a, that is a seal, but it's not a guarantee. God will never force us to stay. God will never force us to go. God will never force us to live into the vision he has for our lives. Look at the amount of marriages. How many people with good intentions go to the altar and say yes, but there's no guarantee for the future unless the, both sides live into their part of the covenant. See, but God's different than us. His side of the, his side of the covenants, it's rock solid. It's airtight. He's never going to change. But God also says, hey, if you don't want it, I'll raise up somebody else that does. Or if you're not ready for it, we'll do that when you get there. And a lot of times we faint and we falter and we fall apart because we're like, God, I got this vision. Why are you saying not yet? Why are you saying can I do this? Me, 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 me. And God, because here's the thing, like God has more for his land. His land is for us. He doesn't want us to be consumed by the land. He wants us to take hold of the land he has for us. And a lot of times if we get there too quick, a lot of times if we get to these promises too early, they would ruin us. They would destroy us. If, if, if we leaned into these things with God sometimes too soon, we'd be wrecked. It's like you give a three-year-old like a Tommy gun and like you wonder why you know, bodies are falling all over the place because that kid wasn't ready for that weapon. Now, they might be the greatest marksman the world's ever known eventually or they might have the calling of a great soldier, but you give them that thing too early, there's gonna be carnage. And there's these things too in our lives that sometimes God wants us to live into these things first before he gives it to us fully. And we see Abraham lived into it. We see Moses, up to this point, had been living into it, but he made some fatal mistakes, and Moses and Aaron wimped out, and God gave them the same um, uh, uh, revision or reversion that everyone else suffered except for Joshua and Caleb, because they gave up. They caved in. They doubted. So there was 10 who said no. There was two who said yes. See, because God's promises aren't guarantees. And God's promises have way less with our ability to pull them off as they are contingent upon us being faithful. Because God's promises we'll never be able to do on our own. Do you know that God's vision for your life will never be something that you could do without his help? We even said last year, we're sharing, sharing our church's vision. We don't want a vision that we can do on our own. We can't plant hundreds of churches. We can't make thousands of disciples. We can't give away the kind of money that we want to give away. We can't see the amount of kids adopted and in foster care that we want to see. We can't see the kind of missional movement that we want on our own. But we sought a vi we're seeking a vision from God that goes beyond our capacity to pull it off, that we have to trust him or we have no chance of ever living into it. So God's vision for your life is that big, it's that good, it's that powerful, it's that plentiful. It's not something you can just save up and do. That's the farce of the American dream is we think that, oh, well, I can save enough. I can go work at the same company for 40 years and have this um, IRA, IRA or 401k or this pension and I can make it happen. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but God's vision for our lives is so much bigger than us earning it. It's so much bigger than us pulling it off. And so God's dream is not the American dream. God's dream for your life, I'm not saying that the American dream, like, I'm not criticizing that, but just our pursuit of it, and we wonder, why does our life not look more like what we see the people in the Old and New Testament? Because we settled for a lesser dream. God had a promise, God had a covenant uh, for his prized creation to build his kingdom, and we settled 
for just something that we could pull off on our own. Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 through 25, it says, The Lord replies, because Moses and Aaron are begging God to forgive the people at this point in time, okay? The Lord replied and said, I'll forgive them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of these who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with any contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard their complaints and the grumbling of the Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live. And this is God swearing. This is God like, you want a promise? Here's a promise with a guarantee. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter in the land I swore with an uplifted hand to make your home, except for Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said, they will be taken as plunder. I will, I will bring them in to the, enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, till the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, each one of you, for the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. That doesn't take the breath out of you a little bit. That's that's a little harrowing because God doesn't change. And we live in a cheap grace era that just wants to tell Jesus loves you, 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 Jesus Santa Claus. That's what he's like. He just has goodies and gifts for you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He's also truth. He's also power. He's also holy. He's also righteous. He is good. So he has things for us way better than we could ever realize. But it's got to be on his terms. And many of us never see his promises come to pass because we begin to doubt because we shrink back when it gets hard, because we listen to what others are saying, because we sinned and break our end of the covenantal deal, and we fail to persevere. And this is a challenging word this morning, but friends, there's bricks in these walls, there's promises on our lives, there's a seal of salvation, if we said yeah to Jesus, that's given through Holy Spirit at baptism. And he wants all of it to come to pass, but it's got to be his way on his terms. It can't be half culture. It can't be half Jesus. can't be half my family. can't be half Jesus. It can't be half Ryan. can't be half Jesus. It's got to be unto Jesus. No, he's not demanding, he's not demanding perfection. But if we want to see him move, and I believe God wants to do a move on the earth, I believe there is a move happening. I believe there's prophetic promises that are hundreds of years old, dozens of years old, years old, weeks old, months old. There's all kinds of prophetic promises that God has for people in this age. And if we want to see them come to pass, we can't be like the children of Israel. we got to be people who will radically obey. Listen, we talk about discipleship all the time, not because it's a good idea, but because it's the only way. It's like Star Wars, like the Mandalorian. This is the way. 
Seriously, that's the only way. This is, there's only one way through this. There's only one way to this. It's the way of Jesus. And it's the way that we have to be willing to die to the things we see, to the things we're terrified, to the things we're overcome by, to the things we're seduced by, if we want to see his kingdom come on the earth in our time. But we settle for lesser things like addiction or our desires, or our um, ways we're used to it, or kind of half and half, or 20 bucks in the coffer, or bless you when someone sneezes. Like, a lot of us, that's our best evangelistic move. And Jesus said, man, I laid down my life so people could come to the kingdom. And yet, a lot of times we're too afraid to even mention the name of Jesus. There's a prophetic promise but it's gotta be his way. See, like if you're an intercessor, you're not off the hook for evangelism. If you're an evangelist, you're not off the hook for discipleship. And if you are any one of those, you're not off the hook for intercessory prayer and for a deep life of worship because these are the things, these are the way. These are the way and the guarantee of the promise comes when we let Christ be formed in us and we walk as Jesus walked on this earth. Guarantees, we have to contend and we have to hang in there if we wanna see this through. If we wanna see these bricks, if we wanna see this word, if we wanna see the visions we've had in the night or the prophetic things spoken over us or maybe the dreams we just had that we thought were fleeting daydreams, if we wanna see these things come to pass, we have to contend for them. And no matter what we're up against, we cannot give up. This is the way. There's one way. Jesus says, I am the way. And he didn't say that because he's a jerk. Listen, there is this wide spectrum thing that all drains lead to the ocean in Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, thisism, thatism, that they're all the same, that, uh, like Mormonism. It's the same way as being a Christian. Listen, it's not. Jesus says, I am the only way. And it's not because, he jer- because he's a jerk, but it's the only path that leads to life. It's the only way. So we can't take the stuff that our culture is proffering and we can't blend it and mix it. And it might look like a daunting giant to speak against that or to live differently, but that's the way. That's the way that Caleb and Joshua inherited the land because when everyone else was saying it, they chose the better way. They chose the better path. And these are only guarantees, friend. The promises of God are only guarantees if we keep our foot on the gas. When Elijah got his promise, he didn't go out to dinner. He went up on the mountain to battle. He didn't say, oh, I got it. That's great. Let's go to lunch. Let's talk about it. No, like, he's like, boys, it's battle time. Bring them up here. Bring all 400 of them against me because God's with me. It's not because I'm some head honcho or big enchilada, but because the God of heaven's armies is right behind me. And if you come through me, that's all right, but you are going to be up against him. That's, that's the kind of God we serve and the kind of promises we have that the Holy Spirit is drawing to us and depositing in our hearts, but his promises are not guarantees unless we live as disciples. And disciples, we know, hear Jesus. They obey Jesus, and they tell others about Jesus. And the thing about promises is they're always at the right time. They're not when we expect them, when we demand them, but they're always at the right time. And I believe that we're in a season, we're in a critical season in the world where actually I believe there's a season of prophetic fulfillment amongst us. There really is. There's a lot of people that, a lot of words in this time where there's stuff that I don't believe. If you have a promise or you have this this vision from God, it's not, don't take this the wrong way, it's not anything because um, we're so great, we can do it. Like, there's a lot of this stuff that God's been trying to do for a thousand years, and a bunch of people just keep falling, falling asleep on the job, falling asleep at the wheel, or give up. Back in 2013, we felt like there was a next, actually in 2012, and just started praying, and we're like, we felt like there was a next on our lives, so entered into a 40-day fast. And that was a long long fast. And in that wilderness time, I went to this conference um, 
at that place in Kansas City, the IHOP. And I went, I don't know why I went, kind of on a whim. I didn't know why then, I know why now. I don't remember anything about the conference except for this one dude who randomly went to lunch with us. As we're walking, he just said, hey, can I get a lunch with you guys? No one knew him, I didn't know him. Like, sure. And as we sat there at lunch, he just gave me this word. He gave me this word and said, God's gonna use you basically gathered and scattered. And God's gonna send you to a place and he wants to do something in your life through you. That you're in this next season and you have a move coming. You have a move coming, but you're gonna have to live into it. And he told me that it's gonna be filled with some really hard stuff. It's gonna be filled with the brink of maybe even falling away possibly. But if you live into it, there's something better on the other side and God's calling you to it now. He said, I don't know if that means anything to you. And I'm like, dude, I'm in a fast right now. I went out to lunch, but I wasn't eating. I was drinking water, and I'm like, I'm in a fast right now. That's why I'm not eating. And he's like, and I was like, that's exactly what I'm praying about. And fast forward a couple years, like we move, or next year, we moved back here. It sucked. It blew up. Our family was falling apart. It was a hot mess. I've told this story before. And I'm just like, Lord, what about that promise? What about that promise? What about that thing you said? And he said, what about your heart towards me? What about this disgusting stuff that you put in front of me? What about the way you treat your wife? What about the way you see yourself? He's like, none of that stuff is like the end game of the vision. And you gotta get this stuff out of the way before you can see that, long before. We gotta cut through the fog. We gotta get this stuff and deal with your character first so when you get there that you can possess the land that the land doesn't possess you. And the Lord said to me, and I, I don't say this haughty, I say this very, um, with fear and trepidation, he said, I'm sending you back. He said, I'm sending you back to a city, I'm sending you to, back to the place that you came from, and I don't just want to do something in your church, I want to do something in a city. And immediately, my heart kind of got puffed up. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. And I felt the Lord really, and you might think I'm crazy, but I feel like I can sense when the Lord's speaking to me. He's like, I don't want you to feel too good about that. What are you talking about? He's like, there were six or seven others that I tried to raise up to do the same thing, and none of them would. So you're just next in line. And if you falter and fail and you try to go about like your own way, I got other people I'm going to call to it also. I've had this thing on your city for generations. Will you do what has to be done? That's the call of all of us. Like, we have promises that maybe started way back, and we have curses. Like, there's generational curses that some of us are stuck in because the enemy wants to send stuff really early because he sees the stuff that God's going to do at the end game. And so we send stuff a long time ago where people hurt us, molest us, rape us, beat us, loot us, uh, challenge us, put us down, uh, steal from us, people die. I mean, like, there's all kinds of stuff that the enemy wants to do because he never wants his promises to come to pass. And if he can put the curses in while God's putting the promises in, he's hoping that the curses are going to win. But God says, you got to hold on to these promises. And the Pharisees, well, the Pharisees waited, studied, languished for the coming of the Messiah. They knew everything, everything about his coming. And yet they missed it completely. God with skin on was right in front of them. It wasn't some like ethereal sign or some cryptic word on, on like the Elijah list. It wasn't this thing. Like God with skin was right in front of them, mowing them down, casting out demons, doing miracles, multiplying food, doing stuff, walking on water, calming storm. Jesus was right in their midst and they missed it completely and they miss God's promise due to their hardness of heart, their bad theology, their apathy, their desire for power control, and their doubt. They missed it. They were so sure of themselves in their promised prophetic heritage, they missed God's visitation and missed the fulfillment of the promise. And they reap curses on their whole people for generations, on my people, reap curses for generation because these self-absorbed bureaucratic zealots that were the pastors of their age couldn't get out of their own way, 
for the one real pastor, the one true shepherd. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 44, he said that you basically missed out because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Friends, are we missing out? Are we not recognizing the time of our visitation because we demand it be another way, because we want it to be another way, because we want to mix it with our way? Just think about that. And I know this is, this is not the most cozy thing today, but this is the thing. We're in a time of prophetic fulfillment, and if we want to see it happen on the earth, we got to get in league with it. we got to sell the farm to buy the pearl. That's what it is. And the only way to it is the way Jesus did it. He recklessly went after God in prayer. He recklessly worshipped God with everything he had. He gave up everything. He's like, I don't even have a place to live. You might think, well, that's extreme. Well, if God's calling you to do it, it's not extreme. It's just the normal Christian life. When we, when we hear, we obey. And if your season of fulfillment and my season of fulfillment, we can't think we're just gonna go about business as usual and see it happen. I mean, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of us... There's a lot of things like, listen, God is holy. He's not demanding us to be perfect, but we can't be people that are potheads and say, I want your fullness of your kingdom. We can't be people that are glued to bottles and say, I want the fullness of your kingdom. We can't be people glued to pornography or glued to gossip or talking down people, dressing people down. We can't do those things and say, God, I want your kingdom to come. I'm gonna worship you on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna miss it. And he's like, you missed the time of my visitation. I was there, I was leaning on that stuff, and maybe those were crutches that were huge and you need them for a while, but let me take that thing and watch what I do. Trust me. These are things, friends, and this is real stuff. This is real stuff. There might be some of you that are really angry right now or think, what, what on earth is this? This is the kingdom of God's at hand. And the time is now. So I'm not gonna give it later because the time is now. When your kid's about to run out in front of a car, you don't tell them all the stuff about a car's about to hit them. You tell them to stop now, and then you tell them about the thing later. This is the stop now. Our time is at hand, and if we want to see the promises in these walls and on our lives happen, the time is now. And if we want things to change, things need to change. Every one of us, the most holy to the most reprobate, we got to keep living into it despite the giants that are in front of us. Hebrews 3, chapter 17, verses 7, uh, 7 through 19 says this. I lost my spot, here we go. This is what the Holy Spirit says. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as Israel did uh, when they rebelled and tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn against me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took, a, I took an oath. They will never enter into my place of rest. So then be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and harden against God. For if we were faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as we first believe, then we'll share in all that belongs to Christ. Therefore, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it? that went against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it people who disobeyed him? We see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. 
There's no plan B, folks. There's no other way. And I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know. I know what it is for me on some level, and I'm sure I'll know more later. But I don't know what it is for you, but I know that there is something for you in the kingdom. That's great. It was the beginning of creation. He meant it to be good. It was good. He had something good for all of us. He made a covenant. He wants everyone to be saved because he wants his kingdom to expand with no end. says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 for God is not unjust he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love for him by caring for other believers as you are still doing our great desire is that you will keep on loving as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. People who want to see the, the promise uh, guaranteed, we live into it. And I love what it says uh, in Colossians 4.17. Paul says this, he admonishes, say to this guy's name, Archippus, that's a great name, Archippus, say to Archie, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And friends, uh, this is like IHOP Sunday. Mike Bickle, founder of the IHOP, former uh, founding pastor of KC Metro Vineyard Fellowship, said this, God won't do your part and you can't do his. God won't do your part and you can't do his. There's a shift and a sift coming here at the vineyard. I want the prayer teams to come up. And if you just want today, if anything is, if you want, like, I just want to see God's promises come to pass in my life. I want to see God's promises. I want to see the guarantee of them happen. Maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing something like this. And this is like a drink from the fire hose. What is God saying to you today and how do you want to live into it? Because there is a sift and a shift coming. It's already happening here. Jesus says that the winnowing fork is on the threshing floor. Like God's doing something in our time. I think you don't have to be like a prophetic uh, I don't know, guru or ninja to see that. The world's changing. And if you want all God has for you, I just encourage you to stand up today in prayer. I guess no one wants what God has for him. So I'll get to go to lunch early. I'm serious. Like, I mean, I'm not going to make y'all. I mean, I'll preach to my kids, man. Like, I'll go tell people on the street. The rocks will cry out. And you don't have to stand up. Don't just stand up because I made a joke or other people did. Like, like this, is, this is serious. This isn't something, like, to make light of. And if Jesus isn't that much for you, maybe repent today and say, Jesus, I made too little of your kingdom. I've made too little of your coming. I've made too little of your promises. I've made too little of your word. I've made too little of what your calling and what your death on the cross meant for me. Or maybe you're like, I'm going for it, Lord, and I want to make it to the end. Like, Jesus has so much for us. And this promise stuff was good. I don't just want to hang out on the bad. This promise stuff was good. But God says there's only one of two choices. It's either me or it's not. There's no this like mix. There's no like this like chocolate vanilla swirl. I know it tastes good, but he said it ain't like that. It's just me. So if you want Jesus to come and you want to see his promises fulfilled in your life, in your family, in this age, just put your hands out. Holy Spirit, come. Would you fall on this place? Lord, would you just let a spirit of weeping fall on this congregation? Would you let a spirit of laughter come on this congregation, Lord? The stuff, wherever we are in this spectrum, Lord, would you call us where we need to be? That we wouldn't miss the time of your visitation. That we wouldn't die in the wilderness of our lives, Lord. We wouldn't faint and give way because the giants are too big. That, Lord, you have wonderful things for us. 
but you demand we stick it through. You don't want us to just show up one time for salvation and show up at the end to receive heaven. You have so much more for us than that. Would you let your covenant to restore and make everything new happen in our lives now? Would you make our lives new? Would you make our vision new? Would you make our families new? Would you make our rhythms new? Would you make our giving new? Would you make our sacrifice new? Would you make our desire to pursue you new? Would you make our prayer life new? Holy Spirit, fall on this place. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask you to come in this time to meet us, Lord. We want to see these promises fulfilled. And you'll raise others up, but you want to use us right now. You want to use us right now, Father. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and fall on this place? Lord, would a spirit of repentance for people that are struggling with drugs and substances, would you fall on people today? Would you let your conviction fall deep on people that are addicted today? Would your spirit fall today, Father God, on people that are ready to give up on, on their kids, on their marriages, on their walks that are just drifting away into the world, Lord? Would you let your spirit fall today, Father God? Would you come, Holy Spirit, Lord, let your rushing wind blow through this temple, Father? Would you blow out the dust? Would you blow out the filth? Would you blow out the dross, Lord? Would you sift this church, Jesus Christ? Come, Lord, come visit this place. Come visit these lives. Come visit my life, Lord. Visit our prayer times, Lord. Visit us. We want to see a move of God on the earth in our time. And we don't want to miss out on the time of our visitation. Because you'll raise someone else up, Lord. Church, this is your time. This is your time of prophetic fulfillment, a prophetic calling. Step into it today. Rush, get prayer, lay down, surrender, whatever you gotta do. The kids will be there, lunch will be there. Come Holy Spirit. We don't wanna rush you today, Father. Let repentance fall on this house, God. Lord, I repent of the apathy in my life. I repent, you've been calling me earlier and earlier and you've been waking me up to pray and I've just been a lazy dud and I'm falling back asleep, Lord. That's the kind of stuff that you'll raise up someone else for. Lord, let, I wanna go after it. I, I repent of how lukewarm I am. I repent of my lukewarmness as a leader, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Father God. Ignite this place. Sift and shift the atmosphere at the Vineyard Florence. We want to see you come on the earth. Lord, let the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy fall in this house today. Maybe you've never received the Holy Spirit or maybe you're like, I don't even know what that is. I've just kind of gone to church and read my Bible or whatever. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit or just even a greater dose, just raise your hands. Father, will you come? Would you pour it out? Just waves, Father God. Waves, Father God. Let us just like be like Ezekiel 47, Lord, where people went in to their ankle and then it engulfed them in the water. Lord, let us go beyond where we can stand. Let us just be engulfed by the waters of your spirit. I pray healing is normal around here. I pray words of knowledge, the prophetic, are normal around here. Would you come, Jesus? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you visit us? Would you come, Father? Lord, send the young people. Send the broken people. Send the ones no one else wants, Jesus. We'll take them. Visit us, Jesus, in this time. Let us not miss the time of our visitation, Father God. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, free people from the chains of addictions, from the chains of lust, from the chains of perversion, from the chains of self-doubt, from the chains of you doubt, Lord, from poor self-esteem, Lord. Would you raise up people with poor self-esteem to see themselves the way you see us? Lord, bitter spirits, broken spirits, lies, betrayal, Lord, things that have intersected our promises, 
to see to it that they're not guarantees. Would you break that stuff off today in Jesus' name? Lord, send out missionaries from this place. Send out, raise up church planters, Father. Raise up disciple makers. Let us quit screwing around, Lord, with your grace. Would you come, Jesus? Lord, we're in a holy place at a holy time. Come, Holy Spirit. Release the fullness of your Shekinah glory today, Father. Surrender, Jesus. Lord, come. Visit us today. Pray this is the day we look back. That was a time of fulfillment of age-old promises. From times gone by, from 20 years ago, from yesterday, whatever, Lord, that this would be a season of fulfillment in the Florence Vineyard. Raise up prophets in our midst, Father. Spiritual parents. I just feel like if you have parent issues, like major parent issues, and you weren't mothered or fathered, just people want to pray for you today. Come up and receive prayer. I believe a lot of us can't get to our heavenly father because we have such a poor visage of him because of our earthly, and our earthly fathers and our earthly mothers. Come receive prayer. Don't be shy today. Flood. Flood to it. It's the time of your visitation. No pressure, but just if you feel him tugging at your heart, don't care what anyone else is looking at or doing. Don't care what time it is. This is the kairos time. This is the now. This is the opportunity. Lord, would you come, Jesus? Would you break through? If you have to go, feel free to go. If you need to get your kids, get your kids. If you want to keep praying, praying. If Worship team, if anyone wants to come up and play, I should have called you up a while ago. Just come on up and just we're going to hang out here in the spirit for a while. But um, do whatever you got to do. But we just ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Meet us as we stay or as we go. Would you just meet us today, Father? A time of visitation in Jesus' name. A time of weeping and repentance. A time of mourning. A time of acceptance. And a time of gladness that's on the other side of that, Jesus. Would you come today? You come, Holy Spirit. You come, Father God.